Hanukkah. 5537. In English, that's 1775. <clears throat> A difficult winter. Terrible cold. We are sitting in Valley Forge and waiting. Why? I don't know. Perhaps for better days than these. I am the only Jew here. Perhaps there are other Jews among us, but I haven't seen any. We hunger for bread. We have no warm clothing or shoes to protect our feet. Most of the soldiers curse George Washington for going to war against Britain. There are those who hope for his downfall, but I believe that his cause is just. We must expel Britain from America. She wants to put her hands in everything her eyes see. I am loyal with all my heart to George Washington, although we are suffering here terribly. More than once I see him at night passing through the camp between the rows of sleeping soldiers. He gazes with compassion upon the soldiers who are suffering from the cold, and sometimes he approaches one of the sleeping soldiers and covers him as a father would cover his son. There are times when the hunger and the freezing cold torture me to death. But I don't curse General Washington, who is fighting for the freedom of America. At moments like this, I think of my father in Poland. I think about all that he suffers at the hand of the cruel pirates, the Polish landowner. I remember, I was a child then, and I saw my father dancing before the pirates. What an awful thing to see. My father was wearing the skin of a white bear and dancing like a bear before the pirates and his guests. What terrible pain, what great shame. My father, dancing like a bear, and the Polish landowners laughing and rejoicing at the sight. I decided then and there that I will never dance like my father before the pirates. Not long afterwards, I escaped to America. And now I'm lying in Valley Forge and shivering from cold. They say that Washington is losing and that he can't win this war. But I don't believe all that. I lie at night and pray for him. The first night of Hanukkah arrives. On this night, years ago, I left my father's house. My father gave me this Hanukkah menorah and said to me, My son, when you light the Hanukkah candles, they will illuminate the way for you. Since then, the menorah has been like a charm for me. Wherever I go, I take it with me. I didn't know what to do, to light the Hanukkah candles here among the Goyim or not. I decided to wait until they were all asleep, and then I took out my father's menorah. I made the bracha and lit the first candle. I gazed at the light and remembered my parents' home. I saw my father dancing like a bear before the pirates, and I saw my mother's eyes filled with tears. My heart was filled with pain, and I burst out crying like a small child. And I decided then in my heart that for the sake of my father and mother, for my brothers and sisters in Poland, 
I must help George Washington make America a free country, a land of refuge for my father and brothers who are subjected to the cruelty of the pirates. Suddenly I felt a gentle hand touching my head. I lifted my eyes, and it was he. He himself was standing over me. Yes, General Washington himself was standing over me, and he asked, Why are you crying, soldier? Are you cold? Pain and compassion. I couldn't bear to see him suffer. I jumped up, forgot that I was a soldier standing before a general, and said what came from my heart, like a son speaking to his father. General Washington, I said, for your victory. I know that with the help of God, we will win. Today they are strong, but tomorrow they will fall, because justice is with us. We want to be free in this land. We want to build a home here for all those who flee from the hands of the Polish landowners, for all who suffer across the ocean. The Polish landowners will not rule over us. They will fall, and you will rise. General Washington pressed my hand. Thank you, soldier, he said. And he sat next to me on the ground in front of the menorah. What is this candlestick, he asked. I told him. I brought it from my father's house. The Jews all over the world light candles tonight on Hanukkah, the holiday of the great miracle. The Hanukkah candles lit up Washington's eyes. And he called out joyfully, You are a Jew from the nation of prophets, and you say we will be victorious. Yes, sir, I answered with conviction. We will win, just like the Gap Maccabees won, for ourselves and for all those who come here after us to build a new land and new lives. The general got up and his face was shining. He shook my hand and disappeared in the darkness. My faith prevailed. Washington's victory was complete. The land was quiet. My general became the first president of the United States, and I was one of its citizens. I soon forgot the terrible days and nights in Valley Forge, but I kept the memory of that first night of Hanukkah in my heart like a precious dream. I didn't relate it to anyone because I said to myself, who will believe me? I was certain that the general forgot it completely, but it wasn't the case. He didn't forget. The first night of Hanukkah, 5538, 1776, I was sitting in my apartment in New York on Broom Street, and the Hanukkah candles were burning in my window. Suddenly I heard a knock at my door. I opened the door and was shocked. My general, President George Washington, was standing in the doorway in all of his glory. Behold the wonderful candle, the candle of hope of the Jewish people. He proclaimed joyously when he saw the Hanukkah candles in my window. He put his hand on my shoulder and said, This candle and your beautiful words ignited a light in my heart that night. Soon you will receive a medal of honor from the United States of America, together with all the brave men of Valley Forge. But tonight, please accept this token from me. He hung a golden medallion on my chest and shook my hand. Tears filled my eyes and I couldn't speak. The president shook my hand again and departed. I came to as if from a wonderful dream. And then I looked at the medallion. 
and I saw an etching of a beautiful Hanukkah menorah, and under it was written, quote, a token of gratitude for the light of your candle, George Washington. This is a story that is related in the Sefer. I translated it. I don't know how good a translation it is. Pardes Kanaka. There's a collection of stories. He doesn't say exactly where it comes from. I don't know if the story is true. Although he must have gotten it from somewhere. And it could very well be true. Because the truth of the matter is, whether it happened or not, the story is true. I think the Mash told you some Mises Matsoy Shabbos. Or last night. There are stories that we know that the Hanukkah candles represent a certain hope, a certain spirit. What is the source of this? What is its meaning? There's a certain aspect that I think is a very beautiful aspect that I wanted to share with you tonight. The Rambam says, at the end of Hilchus Hanukkah, very uncharacteristically, the Rambam says, Ner mitzvahs ner Hanukkah, mitzvah chaviva hi admaot. The mitzvah of Nech is a very dear mitzvah. He ends with a speech. And the truth is, it's not the Rambam's way. It's only safer as a halacha safer. He doesn't tell these speeches. There's some message, there's some point, there's something special. Special about Nech The truth of the matter is, we have to ask Akasha. It's a well-known kasha, but we really have to understand the kasha. We know the Gemara and Shabbos tells us, my Hanukkah, what is Hanukkah? And it goes on and relays how when they won the victory, they came to the base of Mikdash, and all they found was that one cruise of oil, and the miracle happened that it burned for eight days, and they made a Hanukkah to burn to celebrate for eight days in Halal and Haidah. The truth is, we know that that's not the essence of the story of Hanukkah, is it? The story of Hanukkah is the victory. Whether it's the victory, the physical victory of the Hashmanayim over the Ivanim, or whether it's a spiritual victory <coughs> of Torah over the secular Greek culture. But it was the victory. The miracle was a beautiful miracle. But what should be our source of gratitude and appreciation to Hashem? The more we get, the more we appreciate. Which was a greater gift to us? Our lives, our heritage, our future? Or the miracle of a beautiful miracle? No question about it. Beautiful miracle. That the, bird, that the lights burn for eight days. The truth is, to compound the question, some of the Mephashim asked, the Gemara tells stories of miracles. The Gemara tells how Hanina ben Daisa came home one day. And he found that his daughter, by mistake, she was very upset. She had put vinegar instead of oil in the Shabbos candles. So he said, whoever said that oil should burn can say to vinegar that it can burn. And sure enough, it burned. There are many miracles that have happened. For the miracle, we don't make a holiday. And that shouldn't be the reason for the miracle, should it? Hashem enabled us to do this, but that's not it, is it? Rebchaim Shemul Levitz has a beautiful pshat. Beautiful, beautiful pshat. He says, he asks another kasha. He says, 
the Tanakh and Tanakh and Shmuel Aleph, it tells the story, we all know the story of David and Goliath. David and Goliath. Goliath, Goliath was a giant. David was a kid. And how David, with his slingshot, killed Goliath. But there's one Pusik there. There's a Pusik there that's very, very difficult. It says like this. He sends his hand to the utensil of the vessel. He aimed the stone. He hit the plishti, Goliath, in his forehead. And it embedded itself in his forehead. And he fell on his face. So Rashi says, If he hit him head on, on his forehead, then how should he have fallen? He should have fallen backwards, not forwards, wouldn't you say? So Rashi says like this, Rashi says, He should have fallen backwards. He was hit on his forehead. So he shouldn't have to walk so far to have to go and cut off his head. He was rewarded. Twelve Amos and two Zrasayim, a smaller measure, because the height of of of, of uh, Goliath was was six Amos and Azeris. And he He was rewarded that distance that he didn't have to walk so far to have to go cut off his head. And Rukhain Shmulevitz asks, he says, what's the big deal? He walks so far just to come and fight Goliath. He walks right after all the way back to Yushalayim in order to get back to Yushalayim. So it's such a big deal, 12 Amos? For that, it's not, it's not a great Milo always to have a nace done for you. That shows you have to change nature for you. What's this greatness? What's going on? So Rukhain explains like this. He says, we can understand it all P. Marshall. Let's say, for example, in your house, you're fed, there's a family. You're a family. And your family, there's an heirloom of diamond. It's a very precious diamond, not only because of its value, but because of its meaning to the family. It's an heirloom. It's been in the family for generations. And one day, they can't find the diamond. The family is frantic. They go looking and searching all over the place. And everybody goes looking. And finally, the little kid goes and finds the diamond. Everyone is happy. Everyone rejoices. And then, you know, in their joy, the father goes over to the kid and gives him a kiss. A kiss. So Chaim says like this. He says, everyone joy is equal. Everyone rejoices together. But this kid has an extra joy. What's that extra joy besides the fact that he found it? The kiss. His father's kiss. It's now you think about it, that little bit of attention, that little bit of love, that little gesture. But that little gesture means so much. Reb Chaim explains like this, he says, that's the meaning of these Nisim. David, you see, there are things, there was a victory. Goliath, the giant, and the Plishtim were threatening the Jewish people. So for the sake of Hashem and for the sake of the survival of the Jews, Hashem gave David the ability on behalf of the Jewish people to go and save them by killing him. The unbelievable miracle itself of his victory, this little kid, 
hitting Goliath, smack right head on right in their forehead in Gilead. And it turns the tide. That's for the sake of the Jewish people. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave that extra little bit to David. That extra little gesture. His kiss. He showed him, you don't have to walk those 12 hours. So Chaim explains, that's the same thing by Hanukkah. By Hanukkah, the victory was for the survival of the Jewish people. True, as we'll speak in a few minutes, true, that victory of the Jewish people was a phenomenal victory. Rabim biad ma'atim, tmeim bat yehorim, rishoyim biad tzadikim, zeidim biad as we're going to say in Alanisim tonight. A remarkable victory, the few in the hands of the many, etc. The weak in the hands of the strong, unbelievable victory. That victory took tremendous courage on the part of the Hashmanayim and their followers. No question. That was for the sake of the survival of the Jewish people. The Jewish people would not survive. The Malchus Hashmanayim in Eretz Yisrael, the, the kingdom in Eretz Yisrael, lasted for a long time as a result of it. That was the survival of the Jewish people. The nace of the Neiros was HaKadosh Baruch Hu's kiss. That was his little gesture. His little kiss to the Hashmanayim and to Klau Yisrael. That gesture of love. What they call in Chazal He'aras Panim. Like we say in Brigas Kohanim, Yoyer Hashem Panavalecha. Hashem should light up his eyes to you, shine his face upon you, his countenance upon you. That gesture of love. That gesture like a father to a son. The truth of the matter is, this Yisod is a very, very big Yisod. You think about it. The relationship of a father to a son. The truth of the matter is, a father provides unbelievable things for his kids. He provides the sustenance, clothing, housing, education, all the necessities. And for that alone, there should be tremendous, tremendous appreciation. But sometimes, it's not understood as the gesture of love. It's a gesture of responsibility. It's a gesture of survival. Sometimes it's dafka that little lollipop. Sometimes it's dafka that little present. Sometimes it's those little keys. Or whatever. Right? But sometimes it's, it's that gesture. The gesture of love. It's, a, it's an Indian in Shalom Bayis. And maybe we all have to be nizzer a little bit more. You walk in the street. You know, you can bring all kinds of things home. And when you're married, Amir Sashem, you bring sustenance, you bring a paycheck, you bring all kinds of things, and you enable the house to, to the household to have what it needs. But sometimes the gesture of love, that simon of love, is that little gesture, that kiss. When you see a nice apple, and you buy a gadafka and you bring it to your wife, I saw this, I bought it for you, a flower. The little things. But those little things mean so much because there's a gesture of ava between a father and son, of husband and wife. And that's the gesture of HaKadosh Baruch Hu to us, of His love for us. The nace of the minaira, The little kiss. I think it's such a beautiful chat. At the same time, I think it's, we ought to just try and delve a little bit deeper to understand what brought about that love. What perhaps, even Mida Kenegad Mida, can justify that gesture of love. A very big lesson, and I think it's a lesson for all of us. This I got from Rabbi Schwab's father, Zechazadek Livracha, in his Sefer, 
and Shmuzan on Hanukkah. One little ha'ara that he says, but it's a tremendous ha'ara. Because you see, the Muhammad against the Yuvanim doesn't really make any sense. And the truth is, the whole Misa of the Neiras doesn't really make any sense either. You imagine today, imagine today, right? I'll tell you, I remember, you know, different incidents. Well, I'll get, maybe I'll get to this in a second. But you imagine today, a handful, like let's say, a handful of Yeshiva Bachar decide that we're being mistreated, and maybe the world is mistreating or whatever it is. A handful of, 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 of Yeshiva Bachram decide to take on the Soviet Union. Israel decided to take on the Soviet Union. People think it's crazy. A small nation, small nation. What chance do you have? There is no chance. There's no chance. All right, but maybe you'll say that's for survival. But let's think when they came after this victory, and this victory, perhaps the nace of the Nevers was a Gilui in another way as well. What would we do? Let's say we had, we had finished, we were victorious, we won, we're tired. We come to the base of Mikdash, and we see a shambles. You know, I don't know where this farm were. You know, but you see stuff overturned all over the place. You see tumma all over the place. You see statues. You see chazer. You see all the remnants of all of this defilement that took place. And it didn't take place for a very short period of time. It was a long time. You see a total mess in the base of Mikdash. Right? What would you say? You say, in three weeks' time, we're going to schedule the grand opening of the new base of Mikdash. Newly remodeled. Or something. No? What would you say? So you come and you find this one cruise of oil. So this one little bit of oil. It's not enough. You know you need more. So what would you say? Can't you easily see us saying, look, what's the point of lighting this one? Right? We'll be mechanech, this Beis HaMikdash, in two weeks, in a week and a half. We'll have the oil. We'll have everything. And that's it. Normal. That's normal. But that's not what they did. What's the lesson that we learned? Let's take some of our own situations. What kind of things do we come across in our own lives? How often does a fellow say to himself, I don't see myself becoming a very big Talmud Chacham anyhow. So what's the difference if I don't learn today? Or for that matter, what's the difference if I don't learn in mornings? Right? I mean, there's still afternoons, there's evenings. Or let's say, maybe I don't have to learn so much at all. I'm still, you know, I'm learning something. Can you see that? Can you picture that? What's the difference? What am I going to lose? So, eventually, you know, what's the difference? It's not like I'm going to become a rabbi. It's not like I'm going to go into Kyle. So what's the point? There are all kinds of things that before we ever start, we give up. Why? Because they're impossible. And that's how we see them. We see them as impossible. Sometimes there are situations in our lives. There are situations in our families, sometimes. And we see, for me to overcome all of this is impossible. What's the point of my getting into all of this here and becoming more religious, becoming more dedicated, and then I'm just going to have to go home and I'm going to have to contend with all of that. What's the point? I can never make it anyhow. What's the point? That maybe I know that I have to stay in Torah. And I know how much my parents are devoted and dedicated to the fact that I should get my education and there's no way I'm staying in yeshiva. So what's the point of even trying to take it on? To explain to them with love, with kibbutz, with kibbutz havein. To try to explain to them and stick to my guns. Because I know it's my life. What's the point? What's the point of even trying? What's the point? I'm destined... 
All I'm going to do is set myself up for loss, for failure. What's the point? This is the aside, I think, that we learn from the Tchashmanayim. And that's what's so precious. And that's what you brought about that pride of the Rebbein The father was proud of his son when he saw that he did everything in his power. He knows, I don't know what's going to be tomorrow. I don't know. There's no way I can know. The new sin that happened in this base medrash, I don't know if you guys realize it, but probably every single seat in this base medrash exceeds Nisim. Because over these years that Nevetsir has been in existence, there's been one guy after another who, it's a miracle, Mamish, Biachadasha, new people, people you couldn't imagine could learn, people you couldn't imagine could get it together to be successful in all ways, but immensely successful. I would say that by this point, every seat in this space medrash exudes that kind of a miracle. And it's a miracle that goes beyond the natural because on the surface, it was impossible. There are guys who have been here and when they got serious, (coughs) we thought ourselves, how could they learn? Their brains are fried. Or something. Because they would struggle. They would struggle. They would struggle to learn Pshat and the Tosis. They would break their heads and not get anywhere. And we ourselves thought, how can they make it? At the same time, somehow, they, they were dedicated, they gave everything they had, and they were Nisim Mamish. People who in the end are teaching other people Torah. How do you know what's going to be? How do you know if you don't give it your really best shot, but the ultimate best shot? Because of everything that I anticipate may happen then, or how it's going to be reacted to? Their parents today, who couldn't be prouder of their kids because they've become B'nai Torah, and they look at other kids, and they see... They have everything to be proud of of their son. Because look what he is. Look how together, look how happy, look how meaningful. Look at the grandchildren, look at the home they have for themselves. At the same time, at this point, at this point, was their first year, their second year. They had trouble, it was difficult. It's difficult for parents to grow up with their kids sometimes. It's difficult as a parent, and I can tell you this, it's difficult to adjust to the fact that my child is no longer a child. To adjust to the fact that my son has to be able to determine his destiny. It's difficult. It's scary. You're afraid of what's going to happen to your son. You feel a responsibility. And at the same time, you've got to let him live his life. It's an adjustment. It's difficult. Sometimes it takes time. But the results are unbelievable. Nisim. But where does it start? It starts with the impossible. It starts that you don't close the safer because I can't imagine how I can do this then. It does starts. It doesn't start... By giving up before you ever started. It starts by determining, by giving, being committed to the impossible, with coming up with, with whatever tricks you can, sometimes. Sometimes. Whether it's against your Yetzirah, or whether it's against yourself, 
to readjust, to understand that if these things are so meaningful and so important, and how many of us I hear all the time, I know it's true, I know it's right, I know it's the best, I know it's the best, then why not go for the best? You give it your best. Your best. And because of those difficulties, you don't know. That's the lesson of Hanukkah, Rabbi Sai. That's the pride that the Rebbein Shalom had. That's the kiss. I'm so proud of you because I know how hard it was for you. And at the same time, you gave it so much. And because of that, something that you didn't even know if it would last for a day, not only will last for eight days, but can last for years, can last for the rest of your life. That's the lesson of Hanukkah. That's the Aras Panim that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives us. When he sees how much we put in, how much we put in, Rabbi Yisrael, it's not something to waste. It's not something to waste. This is mamish, mamish. Things like this, times like this. We know the Jewish calendar is not just commemorations. It's opportunities. Every time in the year when there is a Hanukkah, it's a chidush, it's a new begin, it's a new renewal of that incident that happened in 165 BCE. And it's been renewed every year, every year since. We have to be mechazik ourselves. Those lights of hope. When we look at those neiros, then we have to be mechazik ourselves to give everything that we have so that we can meet the potential future that we could have. Afrelich <laughs> mechanikach.